Amen. Amen. Well, it's so good to see you here today. We are finishing up. We are wrapping up our four-week series titled, When I Said I Do. If you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And if you did not bring a Bible with you, you are invited to use one of the Bibles located underneath the seat in front of you. And you'll find 1 Corinthians 7 on page 1136. And as always, if you don't have a Bible at your house that you can read or understand easily, please take one of our Bibles home with you. Write your name in it and call it your own. The only caveat ask is that we ask that you do not use it as a table leveler. We want you to read God's word and apply his word to your life. And here's what we guarantee. If you begin to read and apply God's word, he will change and transform your life. If you're looking for God to transform your marriage, read God's word and apply it to your life. So over the last three weeks, we've been looking at the traditional wedding vows that a man and woman make before they are joined together in marriage. The first week we looked at the vow to love and to cherish. You might remember that I dressed up in my spiffy tuxedo and I beat on a cymbal and annoyed everybody in Havasu. Uh, the second week, we looked at uh, the part of the, the vow uh, for better or for worse, and Pastor Chad mocked me by wearing a tux t-shirt. And last week, we looked at forsaking all others, and Pastor Robert explained what that meant for us inside our marriage. Today, we are talking about the promise that a husband and wife made when they uh, committed to remain married until death, till death do us part. And then at the close of this message, Pastor Chad is gonna come out and he's gonna lead those who desire to renew their marriage vows. So cool, we've had about 62, 63 couples so far this weekend renew their marriage vows. The bond of marriage is powerful, second only to the bond that was created when you surrendered your life to Jesus. There is not another bond in human life as powerful or as strong as marriage. Marriage is far more than a give and take relationship. It is far more than a promise. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is not a casual commitment. Uh, when you and your spouse chose to get married, you chose each other for the rest of your lives till death do us part. When you said, I do, and you slipped that ring on your spouse's hand, you leveled up in your areas of responsibility. You were no longer responsible for just you and yourself. You became responsible to love and cherish somebody else not like you, to stick with your spouse for better or for worse, and to forsake all others until death. And God, who created and he designed marriage, designed marriage to be for the rest of your life. Marriage is such a huge decision. Marriage is such a huge commitment 
that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the passage that we're about to read, the Apostle Paul actually tries to talk single followers of Jesus out of getting married. He helps them to understand that, look, this is really a huge commitment. So to all of you who are single, think twice about getting married. That's what the Apostle Paul was about to tell us in this passage of Scripture. Now today I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, but you are welcome to follow along in whatever translation you have. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 32. Paul writes this. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. When you were a single follower of Jesus, you could go anywhere you wanted to do anything to tell people about Jesus. If you wanted to sign up and go to the Holy Lands, you went without having, without having to explain to your spouse. If you wanted to go on a mission trip, you went without having to explain to your family. In fact, as a single follower of Jesus, you are freed up from the obligations to anybody here on this earth in the same way that a husband and wife have. After I became a follower of Jesus in 1991, and what I mean by that is after I understood that Jesus did die on the cross for my sins, that he gave his life up for me, that he forgave me, and that I could have a right relationship with God by surrendering my life to Jesus, so after I surrendered my life to Jesus and after I received Christ as my savior, I was born again, I was made new. And from that moment, I wanted to do nothing but to please Jesus. Uh, that's who I was devoted to. I had no other obligations except to follow Jesus completely. I work construction and I believe that God put me there to work construction to tell those other workers about Jesus. And so for the next three and a half years, that's exactly what I did. And then I quit working construction and I traveled to Ohio six hours away and I worked with a church plant as associate pastor three and a half, four years after I became a follower of Christ for no salary whatsoever, for no pay, for no salary. I could never do that as a married man. My wife would hit me on the head and beat me up. She'd say, what are you crazy? You have responsibilities. We've got to pay our rent. We've got to pay our mortgage. We've got to pay the car loans and you need to support me. I could have never lived that way if I was married. And so listen, if you are a single follower of Jesus, enjoy it. Enjoy it. And, don't, and if you're single again, don't seek to get married again. That's what Paul says. He says, you're better off. I don't know what I said wrong, but you guys are laughing at me. I'm just repeating what the apostle Paul said. 
And when Christy and I got married in 1999, I agreed that I would no longer live for myself. From now on, my responsibility level uh, no longer stopped at me and God. It was now me and God and Christy. Now in your life notes, I want you to use the space to jot down the differences between a contract versus a covenant. The first difference is this, and it's not an exhaustive list, but it's a few things I thought I would point out. First, a contract is between two parties. It can be between two businesses, a contract can be two men, two women, two children, uh, a contract can be two organ a contract can be in between two organizations. But a covenant, the marriage covenant, is between one man, one woman, and God. See, the covenant of marriage is what Paul describes here in 1 Corinthians 7. That's why he's telling these single followers of Jesus to really do a double take, to really think about what you're about to get into, because you're no longer responsible for just you. You're responsible for your spouse and you're accountable to God. The second difference between a contract versus a covenant has to do with our attitude when it comes to serving. A contract, the attitude is simple. You serve me. But in a covenant, the attitude becomes, we serve each other. So I think sometimes in marriage, people think that they're in a contract with their spouse, that as long as their spouse holds up to their end of the deal, they'll hold up to theirs. But the moment their spouse begins to sin, the moment their spouse begins to fail, that person says, I'm out of here. They're not living up to their expectations, so I'm not going to live up to mine. In a covenant, the attitude is, we serve each other even if my spouse stops serving me. To serve one another, to serve God, to serve inside the church, to serve in our community, to do all you can to reflect God's grace, God's kindness, God's compassion to a broken world and to your family all together. See, the attitude is not a you serve me attitude. The attitude is we serve each other and God together. So if your attitude toward your spouse is that they are there to serve you, you have a very difficult road ahead of you. Rather than till death do us part, your marriage is going to feel more like a death sentence. You're going to dread every day. If your attitude is my spouse should serve me, your marriage is not going to go well, especially if your spouse believes till death do us part. So the truth is we are going to blow it every single day in our marriage. We're gonna blow it in our duty to serve one another and we will all get selfish at times. Raise your hand if you've ever been selfish in your marriage. See, I screw up all the time in marriage. I mess up all the time in marriage. But that leads me to the final point that I want you to write down underneath covenant and contract. Write this down. In a contract, wrongs are weaponized. In a contract, wrongs are weaponized, but in a covenant, 
wrongs are forgiven. See, my wife messes up all the time in marriage as well. I mess up all the time in marriage. It's true. It is. And the only way that we can make it till death do us part is by understanding the covenant involves three, not two. That there's God, there's me, and there's my spouse. See, when you weaponize a wrong, you never let them forget about how they failed you. You drag it out for years and years. You constantly remind them of their failure, of how they failed to meet the mark. You bring it up from time to time just to zing them when they're feeling cocky and you make them feel bad. And you often begin by saying something like this. Remember that time you... See, when you weaponize a wrong or you weaponize wrongs inside of your marriage, you're functioning more with a contract mindset than a covenant mindset. But when you forgive wrongs, you elevate and highlight God's role in your marriage. See, your individual relationship with God begins with forgiveness. The reason why you can have a relationship with God is because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. He forgave your sins. And when you forgive your spouse inside of marriage, you show and you shine to the world that there is a third party in your marriage. You say, just as God has forgiven me for my sins, this marriage covenant is only going to last if we forgive one another. See, when you forgive, you recognize that God is more than just the beginning, middle, and end of your marriage. When you forgive, you're recognizing that cross-centered forgiveness must saturate every square inch of your marriage because there is a third party involved. And it is God who loves you, who is for you, and who has forgiven your sins. Without that type of cross-centered forgiveness, your marriage will be miserable until you die or until you divorce. And let me encourage you, when it comes to marriage, think death, not divorce. Think death, not divorce. If in the back of your mind, you have set aside divorce as a plausible option when things don't go well, when things aren't working out with you and your spouse, you are not going to work very hard to forgive. You're not going to work very hard to overcome obstacles and challenges together. See, there's a D word that my wife and I don't mention in our house. We, we call it the D word because we never use the word divorce. We don't use the word divorce when we're talking about problems. We don't use the word divorce when we're talking about challenges. We don't use the word divorce when we're confessing sin to one another. And it's hard for us sometimes when our kids see uh, marriages of their classmates or marriages of people that they've known fall apart because the kids, if they hear us arguing, will say, are you guys going to get a divorce? And we're always like, no, sweetheart, we are in this until death. See, you won't practice forgiveness the way that God compels you to forgive if divorce is in the back of your mind as an option. 
But if you recognize that death is God's only way to end a marriage, you're going to forgive wrongs because you're in this until death. You'll serve one another because you're in this until death. You'll love and cherish one another because you're in this relationship until death. And you will forsake all others because you're in this till death. And now might be a good time to remind you that murder is against the law. (laughs) And it's punishable by death. So husbands, if your wife is like, here, let me fluff that pillow for you. That is not what this passage means. That's not what this uh, vow means. If you see divorce as an option, the amount of energy and devotion that you produce may not be as strong as those who see death as the only way to break a marriage covenant. Does God permit divorce? Yes, he does. God does permit divorce. There are some biblical allowances for it. And, And quickly, I'll point out there are just three A's. Adultery, abuse, and abandonment. If your spouse has been unfaithful to you and they're sexually being satisfied by somebody else, the Bible allows for you to divorce them. But if you're able to forgive them, I want to encourage you to do so. In the instance of abuse, if your spouse abuses you or if your spouse abuses your children, either sexually or physically, you do not have to feel one bit of guilt or shame about seeking a divorce. And I don't encourage you just to forgive them over and over again and remain in that marriage. Get out of that marriage and save your children and their future. And finally, abandonment. If your spouse packs up, leaves, and deserts you, there's nothing you can do. And so the Bible allows for abandonment to be a reason for divorce. God God does not permit divorce because your spouse hurt your feelings. Or maybe your spouse didn't laugh at your joke. Or maybe you realize that their bad breath is a uh, medical condition. God doesn't permit divorce if your spouse leaves hair trimmings inside the sink all the time or screws the toothpaste back together improperly, whatever. God doesn't provide divorce for anything petty. If your your husband passes gas underneath the blankets or any other reason, if you married a lazy, good-for-nothing person, too bad. You chose that individual and you made a covenant and a commitment to remain married until death. So think death not divorce. And again, I have to reiterate, murder is a crime punishable by law. And finally, I wanna say this, a determined mindset can lead to a legacy. A determined mindset can lead to a legacy. See, the more you and your spouse are determined to not only remain married till death do us part, but to also get better together in your marriage because you realize this is my spouse. We're in this till the end. Let's make our marriage as strong as it can be. Let's get better. And the only way that your marriage is going to get better and get stronger is by you taking a hard look in the mirror and asking God to change and transform you. 
And if you're able to do that, chances are high that you are going to leave a godly legacy for your children, for your grandchildren, and for people you will never meet. I love seeing pictures and images of family reunions where they have the grandmother and the grandfather and the great-grandmother and the great-grandfather along with all their descendants in the photograph. Imagine that you and your spouse model forgiveness and grace and service and love in your marriage so well that your children grow up and they marry a spouse just like your spouse because they're seeking to model in their future what they've seen you model in your past. Imagine that you and your your spouse choose to serve as marriage mentors here at Calvary to help other married couples begin to thrive and you leave a godly legacy, you leave a godly footprint in someone else's marriage as well. See, I'm I'm more formally convinced every single day that the more determined you and your spouse are to thrive in your marriage, the more you're going to confess your sins to one another, you're gonna pray for one another, you're gonna encourage one another, you're not going to weaponize wrongs, but you're gonna forgive wrongs, and you're gonna elevate and show the world that God is the only one that has carried you through this marriage till death do you part because you've depended upon God's grace, you've depended upon God's kindness, you've depended upon God's restoration and his forgiveness, and it's highlighted for all to see. God can do that in your life and leave a godly legacy for your children and for all your descendants. So have the mindset that they will be able to see you having a Christ-centered, Christ-saturated, God-honoring marriage covenant with one another. And that even when things got difficult, divorce was never considered because divorce was never an option. Let's pray together. Father, we wanna say thank you for your word. Thank you for your commitment to us to change us to help us grow in grace, to help us grow in kindness, to help us love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Father, I pray for those in this room today that are uh, struggling in their marriage. God, I pray that you would help them to overcome through forgiveness, through grace. Lord, that wrongs would be forgiven and that you would allow husbands and wives to start over. Lord, I thank you for those who are gonna renew their vows today. God, I pray your blessing all over them and their marriage and their children and their future descendants. Father, I pray that you would use their marriage as a godly light that highlights grace, forgiveness, and the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said.